1: In Episode 6, I will be discussing the Golden State Warriors and the Super Team concept. Is the Super Team ruining the NBA? That question will be answered up next on the Off the Glass podcast. This is the Off The Glass Podcast, bringing a fresh, intelligent, thought-provoking perspective to the game of basketball. I'm your host, Z. Thanks for joining me today. And on today's episode, as I stated in the preview, we will be discussing the super team concept. Is it bad for the NBA? Are the Warriors super team ruining the NBA? And um, when I first heard this, um, it's been a discussion that's been going on ever since Kevin Durant decided to leave Oklahoma City and join the Golden State Warriors, making it one of the more uh, potent, most versatile, most talented basketball rosters I think the league has ever seen. But I will argue that this concept, even though we didn't call it a super team, has already existed. And, you know, before we really get deep into that, you know, I wrote on my blog, you can go check it out at theofftheglasspodcast.com, And the question I pose is, straightforward, is the super team concept hurting the NBA? I don't know, maybe. And this had popped back into the news because the GOAT himself, Michael Jordan, was quoted as saying, I think it's going to hurt the overall aspect of the league from a competitive standpoint. And then he goes on to say, you're going to have one or two teams that are going to be great and another 28 teams that are going to be garbage. And a little extreme, um, I think his his comments are definitely lacking perspective. But w- the interesting question is, where did this concept of the super team come from? I would argue that it pointed to back in 2010 when LeBron got in on his ESPN special and announced that he was leaving Cleveland for South Beach to join Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And, of course, because of the way he decided to put it on TV, the decision, he was heavily – criticized they they thought you know he was showing that he wasn't cut out to to win it by himself he wasn't tough he wasn't a competitor all these kind of absurd statements and at the time you know i thought it was a brilliant move i know i was in the minority it was a couple of the guys that i would play ball with at lifetime fitness back in the day that kind of had the same view as me but most of the the growing public and nba fans and people across the country thought that he was Kind of shortcutting his way to a ring, but I would argue that he was actually looking around the landscape of the of the NBA and especially the East at the time and how dominant the Boston Celtics had been since they put together their version of the Super Team, which was Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce, and nobody criticized them for that. And one has to ask the self ask theirself the question, why is this? I think I had to answer why, and it mainly is because that the general manager Jane, Danny Ainge was the one that made the moves, traded draft picks to get Ray Allen, and convinced KG to sign the extension to even come to Boston in the first place. So, because the general manager was the one that put the team together, it was seemed as deemed as being okay. And actually, with that team being put together, you know, we got the term the Big Three that came out of that as well. So LeBron looked around and said, hmm, I'm winning 67 games in Cleveland. I'm winning MVPs. We went to the finals once, Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm just not competitive enough. And he looked around and said, you know what, why not take the power that now that these NBA players have because of the salary cap rules because it's just different, and why don't I just go and team up with not only one of my good friends but at the time one of the best players in the league and Dwayne Wade and then another – star and Chris Bosch. It just made sense. And, you know, you just have to kind of sometimes step back and see the forest from the, you know, from the trees and kind of just look at the landscape and realize that it's a different NBA. It's a new day. And I would argue that we didn't call them super teams, but super teams always existed. As somebody like me, I've been involved in basketball all my life. Like I said, I'll actually be um 36 this wednesday wow um i started playing at a competitive level as early as third grade so i've been around the game for a long time and one thing that i quickly learned in my days of playing youth basketball um i participated in something called small fry basketball i quickly realized you have to have great players on the team to win a championship you don't win championships with average to mediocre players or just so-so players you got to have other great players now, I will say this, at a young age, if you are uber talented, you know, all the way up to your high school uh, level, depending on where you're going in the high school, how competitive it is, what level are you playing with, you know, like here in, the, in in Illinois, you know, we have four classes, the smaller schools and then the big schools. But when I was in high school, we actually only had two classes. It was class A and class A, So um, it was super, super competitive. But with that being said, If you were somebody that was really, really good, a really elite talent, it was possible to be the best player on the team with a bunch of role players and still win uh, a state championship. I mean, John Shire that played at Duke, he went to Glenbrook North. uh, That jumps to mind. He was able to win state championships, and he was by far the best player on the team, and no other great players played on that team. But once you get out of high school and start moving up in, in levels and the talent gets better, you're going to have to play with other great players to win a championship. That goes for the NCAA and the college college level, and that definitely goes for the NBA and the pro level. And we can look at all these teams in history. We can look at all the different eras. We could look at Bill Russell's great era and the type of players he played with. Now, you know, the difference was obviously that there was only 10 teams, so the talent was actually more concentrated. And there's even myths that come out of that that, you know, for example, when you compare – you know the the rivalry of Bill Russell and Wilt Chamberlain. The reason why Russell was so dominant was that you know Wilt played with bombs. I mean, that's what they lead you to believe. But in um, Bill Simmons' book, The Basketball Book, which I recommend any basketball fan go pick up and read, he outlines it beautifully in one of the chapters when he talks about Wilt and Bill. And actually, the facts were for that time period, Wilt actually played with more All Stars than Bill. It's just that Bill was a better winner, a better team player, and a lot of times Wilt was chasing stats. But even with that being said, Russell doesn't win those championships without Koozie, without Havlicek, without Sharman, uh, without Casey Jones, you know, without Sam Jones. You know, Wilt, even when they won championships, he had Hal Greer. You know, he had other great players. I can't think of everybody off the top of my head. But and even fast forward to the 80s, and we talk about the golden era of the NBA when we look at Magic and we look at Bird. I mean, are we serious? Going to argue the Golden State thing as being unfair? Look who Magic played with. Magic had James Worthy on the wing. Well, let's 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 back up. In his early years, he actually had Jamal Wilkes, He had Norm Nixon, and then he had arguably—you can say—and I'm starting to come to this conclusion a little bit that he had arguably the best player to ever play the game on his team, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, and then later on, because. Um, owners and general managers didn't know how to really manage teams back then. After they won the championship, they were able to trade, I want to say, it was David Greenwood for the number two pick, and then they turn around and draft James Worthy, one of the best small fours to ever play the game. So, you know, it's not like Magic was doing this by himself. He played with all-time greats and Hall of Famers. The same thing with Larry Bird. Even in the his first championship run in 81, he already had McHale, they had Parrish, And even though he doesn't go down as an all-time great, they had Cedric Maxwell, Cornbread, who was actually the finals MVP on an 81 team, not Bird. And uh, so it wasn't like Bird was playing with with bombs either. So, you know, you need other great players. As I wrote in my blog, really the only outliner for guys that didn't play with other great players to win championships was Isaiah Thomas. Now, for those of us who remember that era, of course, he had some really, really good players. I mean, Joe Dumars was really good. You know, they had solid role players. And Mark Aguirre, um, even though he wasn't on the championship teams, they had Adrian Dantley. You had a young up-and-coming Dennis Rodman. You had Bill Laimbeer. You had Rick Mahorn. Isaiah was the only t- player when they came out with the NBA's um, best of, uh, you know, the all-time greats at, of, of 50 years when they did the anniversary. Isaiah was the only one to win not one but multiple championships with not having another uh, 50-best player on his team. Now, of course, Robin goes on to to become a Hall of Famer, but at that time, nobody thought Dennis Rodman was going to be a Hall of Famer. He was a role player that came off the bench and played great defense, rebounded the ball, and gave him energy. So the other other team, too, is, of course, the the Pistons team that was led by Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton, Rasheed Wallace, and Ben Wallace. You know, that was a, those were really good players, but I don't think anybody's looking at those gentlemen or those guys as all-time greats. So besides that, I mean, the, the team that Dr. J played on in 82 when they won the championship, I mean, you had Moses Malone, Dr. J, Bobby Jones, not an all-time great, but a really good role player, Andrew Tony, probably arguably one of the the best scores pound for pound, pound for pound that the league has ever seen. You talk about Allen Iverson being able to score the ball. I mean, you had guys like Andrew Toney and Vinny Johnson that was small in size that was putting the ball in the hole just at a prolific rate, just to, uh, just like Iverson. So those teams weren't any, wasn't a slouch team. I mean, Jordan's teams in the early 90s, you had Pippen, and we might not look at him like that, but Horace Grant, another solid player. Then, of course, you know, in a prime, really in a primes, Pippen's prime, you had Pippen then You add Robin, who was playing at an elite level, and of course, you had Jordan, uh, Utah, they lost to you. You had Stockton alone, Seattle, Gary Payton, Sean Kemp. So, the story and the list go on and on. I just think sometimes we lose perspective and we get upset about why people choose to do certain things. I think that's what really is going on here, and um, you know, it's just a couple factors too, and uh, that allow Golden State to even put this team together in the first place. But before I even get to that point, I kind of wanted to share some of the numbers that I looked at when I went back to just look at some of these teams. And I looked at the whole 80s era because that's just considered the golden era. And that considered the modern era of basketball to a lot of people. And I looked from 80 to 88. There were actually only 23 teams in the league. 88 89 is when they get to 25 that's when the hornets and the heat join and then from 89 to 90 uh, they had 27 at that point you add the timberwolves and the magic of course there's currently 30 nba teams but when you start looking at the 80s i mean the early days in the 80s and then maybe some of the older uh generation you know people from that generation can remember because some of these names i was looking at i went through every single team Most of those teams, in my opinion, I didn't recognize any great players. They was garbage. Like, for example, the 80-81 team. In my opinion, out of 23 teams, only eight teams were really good or borderline great. And I listed them. I mean, Boston, as I mentioned, had Bird, McHale. Looking at my notes, I forgot. Nate Archibald, Tiny Archibald, the only man to lead the league in scoring and assists in the same season. Uh, Maxwell Parrish. The Nuggets had Alex English, One star. The Rockets had Moses Malone and Calvin Murphy. The Lakers had Magic and Kareem. The Milwaukee Bucks had Sidney Moncrief. The 76ers had Dr. J. I forgot, I'm sorry, uh, Mo Cheeks, and he's from Chicago, my apologies, and Andrew Toney. The Spurs had George Gervin, and then Utah Jazz had Adrian Dantley and Dr. Duncan Stein himself, Daryl Griffin. When I looked at 81-82, pretty much the same. Out of 23 teams, in my opinion, nine teams were really, really great players, That Boston team was the same team again. Um, The only team that got added really to this list was the Dallas Mavericks because that's the year Mark Aguirre came into the league. They they added Ronaldo Blackman. Uh, The Pistons became um, good because that's the year Isaiah Thomas comes in. We still had the Rockets. We still had the Lakers, the Bucks, the 76ers, and the Jazz. And this was pretty much the theme of the 80s all the way up until you get to 84 and 85. Now, for those of us who are basketball aficionados and who really love and follow the league, we all know what happened in 84-85. That's when you finally see the influx of talent come into the league. That's the year, of course, of Akeem, Jordan, Barkley, John Stockton, Sam Perkins, even somebody that had a solid career like Alvin Robinson, Kevin Willis, Otis Thorpe. The following year, that's the Patrick Ewing draft, Carl Malone, Chris Mullen, Charles Oakley, Joe Dumars, A.C. Green, Terry Porter, Wayman Tisdale, just to name a few. And if you just keep going through the through the decade, the talent keeps improving and keeps getting better. So it also brought me to another conclusion that actually, just like anything else in life, things go in cycles, things go in peaks and valleys. In the Early 80s, the talent, not so good. He was coming out of that cocaine era, even in the mid-80s. Somebody like Michael Ray Richardson that had a chance to be great. Even Bernard King um, struggled with drug drug addiction a little bit. You had a lot of guys kind of fall by the wayside in that era. So maybe some of those guys who are listed where I really didn't recognize the name, but I really couldn't remember their career. Maybe these were some of the guys that were consumed by that era. I don't want to put that on anybody, but it's a possibility. I mean, drugs and cocaine during that time was affecting not just the NBA, but the NFL, all sports, the, the baseball and the country for that matter. I mean, we know that was the era of the coke and um, the crack epidemic was soon to follow. So, of course, these kind of things bleed into sports. So today's game, I will argue, We're seeing a resurgent in talent. The league is in the best shape it's been in a long time. We have a lot of great talent. I mean, a lot of great talent. And to me, that is the biggest issue, not the concept of the super team, but how concentrated the talent is in one conference, that being the West Coast. If it was probably a little bit more balanced, it wouldn't be so much complaints about Golden State signing up to get super teams. Now, what Golden State has done is made players step back and look at the landscape and say, hmm, where is my best ability to to not only make some, you know, some money, but also have long term success. And again, I have to applaud the players because they finally realized. And then also you have to give credit to the greats because they are the ones that grew the game. Everybody from, of course, Bird and Magic getting it off tape delay. I mean, they used to have the finals on tape delay tape delay. Dr. J, Jordan grabbing the torch and then taking it out of the stratosphere into levels that the league has never seen. So because of the – they did do the work and lay the groundwork for the players of this generation to have the freedom to make the money that they have, and then you also have to look at technology. I mean, we now have, you know, private jets, teams don't fly charter anymore, social media, internet. So it's not about being per se in, quote, unquote, certain – major markets like a New York, a LA, you know, now you can play anywhere. Look at Russell Westbrook. He plays in Oklahoma City. He was just recently named the MVP. He um, plays in a small market, but because of the internet and everything else, it doesn't really matter anymore. But like I said, the main issue is the concentration of the stars are all in the West. And I've looked at the numbers. As I stated, there are 30 NBA teams. I went through every team in in the East and the West. And if we just go down the list, you have Boston, Kyrie, and Gordon Haywood, obviously before the injury, but he'll still be a star. I had Porzingis written down. I had Simmons and Embiid written down, but I actually scratched them out, and I'll tell you which team I actually put them on because, again, while the talent is high, these guys have yet to show us on a consistent basis, especially the Sixers guys with way more injuries than Porzingis. But even Porzingis, he's been injury porn too, So we don't know what the ceiling is going to be. We could look at the talent, but right now I don't know if we can necessarily count them as stars. We move along. You got the Toronto Raptors with Laurie and DeRozan. The Cavs, of course, have LeBron and Kevin Love. Um, I had the Pacers on here because initially I had Miles Turner, but I put him with 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 that Simmons, Embiid, and Porzingis group. Great talent, but still remains to be seen. Of course, Milwaukee has Giannis, Wizards, Wall, and Beal. So when you add it up, There's about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's nine total stars in the East. Now, when we jump to the West, you're going to see the huge drastic change. We start right at the top with Golden State. I mean, Curry, KD, Clay, Draymond. That's four right there on one team. Um, Griffin. We could possibly count DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I'm not, you know, against that for those who want to argue that. I I personally – went back and forth on it, and I ultimately decided not to label him a star. I think he's a really, really, really good player. I feel like Jordan and Rudy Grobert kind of fall into that category. I mean, I wouldn't be mad if you considered them stars, but I'm not going to put them at that star level like that. The Rockets, of course, have Harden, Paul, Grizzlies, Conley, and Gasol. The Pelicans have Davis and Cousins. The Spurs have Leonard. I, this one was another one that was tough, but I think because he was an injury-prone, and we really saw the talent last year. I'm going to go ahead and put uh, Jokic for the Nuggets on there. The the Timberwolves have Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, not really sold on Wiggins like that yet. Again, the potential is there, but not really sold on him. I don't know if he's really willing to play defense like that. OKC, Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, the Trailblazers, Lillard, CJ McCollum. So – you know, it kind of brought me to that next list. I, I decided to, you know, give it a title. And for all of my Spades players out there, you know, I call this the all Spades team because these are your your possible stars. You know, when Spades, for those who don't play Spades, you count your books and then you got several possible. So these are my possible stars. And that's where I said we put Simmons, Embiid, Miles Turner, Porzingis. Initially I had Jokic on here, but I had to really – I went back and forth. and I, You know, I went on and gave Jokic – you know, the nod. So, I mean, that is the real issue. The concentration of the players are in the West. And, I mean, we did see uh, Golden, Gordon Haywood go from West to East, um, Kyrie Irving remaining in East, but we did see Carmelo Anthony go from East to West as well. So, again, I really truly believe that these things go in, in cycles. They go in, in peaks and valleys. And right now it's just that the West happens to be – stronger conference right now. I mean, that's just the way things tend to go sometimes. And um, I think, as I stated earlier, that the league is in a great place talent-wise. It's just that maybe that I think for the first time as an owner of a team, if you really want to be successful, you've got to have a strong front office. you got to hire competent people. you got to hire people that know what they're doing, that really know how to scout and draft uh, talent. They really have a firm grasp of the the salary cap and how to move players and move numbers. You got to have a strong analytics department. I know some of the old school people are, you know, are kind of still trying to grab, wrap their mind around and grasp the concept of of analytics. But the that is here to stay. And there's actually some values to value in numbers. You know, everything can't be quantified into a A math problem but there is some some value to be to come out of analytics you know so the margin for error for a team is less I mean I'm looking right now at my hometown Chicago Bulls and my argument though with them is a different argument I've always argued that that ownership doesn't really care about the Bulls and he's actually just lucked into a lot of things as far as who they were able to draft and Michael Jordan Scottie Pippen and those guys developed that talent But, I mean, besides Dennis Rodman, they never really went out and signed any big-time free agents. And we can see where they are right now. I mean, they decided to say, hey, even though maybe Jimmy Butler doesn't get you to a championship by himself, he still is a star. He's still one of the best players in the league. He's one of the best two players in the league. So to just move off of him like that, to me, didn't really make sense. I'd rather have the talent an attempt to try to figure it out, especially when high-level talent is hard to come by. I mean, I will give them credit. They did draft him with the last pick in the first round, so it wasn't like, you know, he was this coveted star coming out, and they did, you know, mainly because of who their coach was and Fibito able to develop his talent, and he became an elite all-NBA type of player. But, you know, now look at their roster and some of the moves they made, which were head-scratching moves. You know, they already been documenting how – The trade they did with Golden State but you know I think that's what where we at right now you know the teams that are going to be better run are the teams that the players are going to look back and look at the culture I mean look at what's going on right now today in Phoenix you know we had the firing of Earl Watson and the guys really not out there tweet uh trying excuse me then you had Eric Bledsoe tweet out that he wanted to be somewhere else and (laughs) and then turned around and said he was actually talking about being at the hair salon but I thought that was a, a a new excuse, interesting excuse, but, you know, it shows you how dysfunctional that franchise is. So I think and the other thing that plays a major role as well is you have to have some luck. You know, things have to break just the right way, no pun intended, because I don't want anybody to get hurt, for your team to be successful. I mean, if we go back and look at how this Golden State team was formed – It was actually, at its core, really formed through the draft. Teams passed on Steph Curry. A bunch of teams had the chance to draft Steph Curry and passed on him. They were able to draft Klay Thompson. Now, granted, he moved on to Dallas, and they did tank at the end of the season to get him, but they were able to draft Harrison Barnes. And as I documented also on my blog, all the teams in the NBA had a chance to draft Draymond Green. He went number 35 in the second round. And nobody knew Draymond Green was going to be Draymond Green besides Draymond Green. Now, I will say this. At the time, I didn't think he was a second-round player. I thought he was a first-round player. My only question with him was, could he lose the weight? Could he get in shape? But it was clear for anybody that watched those Michigan State teams when he was there, he was a clear winner. He had a lot of heart. He did a lot of things really well. He didn't do anything great, but he did a lot of things really well. Like He could kind of handle then played inside, he added the jump shot, he could shoot the three, and he was just a great energy guy and a great team leader. And you could tell his his teammates loved playing with him and would give all their effort for him, and that's what you see going on in Golden State. He's the clear backbone and leader of that team, even though Steph and KD are the better players, he's the leader. So they had enough foresight and enough uh trusted in their scouting program to go ahead and take a, a risk. And then even with that being said, Draymond didn't even play right away. It took for David Lee to suffer an injury and miss the beginning of the season, and then they had no choice but to put him in the in the starting lineup. And once he got inside that starting lineup, as they say, the rest is history. He took advantage of his opportunity. He grabbed the bull by the horns, and he didn't look back. So you have to look at everything. And also the other thing that took place Steph Curry was injury-prone. He had the bad ankles. So when they signed him to that really, really team-friendly, reasonable contract, which I think at his at his peak paid him about $12 million a year, nobody saw him becoming uh, Steph Curry. Nobody saw him becoming a two-time MVP, the first uh, unanimous uh, MVP. Nobody saw that. Again, maybe Steph saw that because he believed in himself, but I think if we really – put a lie detector test on him. I don't think he saw that. And with him becoming as great as he is and the type of player he is, it made it set up for a situation where, you know, when things happen the way it failed, that Kevin Durant would want to play with him. And it gave them the cap space to go out and sign Andre Iguodala to a big contract at the time when he was coming from Denver. He was one of the top free agents that summer. Andre Iguodala and Kevin Durant are the only two people that they signed as free agents that were major signings. Everybody else they brought in through the draft. And then let's look at how KD came to that team. And I don't care what anybody say. I'm not taking anything away from Cleveland. Yes, they won the championship. But if we use perspective, again, podcast is going to be about perspective. If Draymond doesn't get suspended, Golden State wins that championship. If Golden State wins that championship, in my, in my opinion, Kevin Durant does not join the Golden State Warriors. But because they lost and, then that, uh, and because KD and them actually lost to Golden State after blowing a lead, a 3-1 lead, that opened the door for him to, to entertain the idea of ultimately coming to Golden State. So you have to have luck. You have to have a competent owner, a great GM, a great support staff, great culture, great um, great coaching staff um, for you to build a super team. So it's not like this stuff just all just uh, was deliberately done. A lot of it was done by happenstance. A lot of it was luck. And let's be honest, you need some luck to win a championship. So, you know, just kind of wanted to drop in today real quick and weigh in on this whole super team debate And ultimately, I don't think it's bad for the league. I just think the league goes through peaks and valleys and cycles. And right now, all the talents is in the West. We got a bunch of guys in the years to come that are young players. I mean, Giannis is only 22. Who knows if he stays with Milwaukee long term? Who knows if Embiid stays um, in Philly long term? Who knows if Lillard or McCollum stays in Portland long term? Does KD even stay in Golden State long term? Will Clay Thompson one out? I mean, we can add – different players to this list with a possibility for them to go back to East and lead the West Coast. And then maybe that will balance out the league. So only time will tell. It's clear, though, right now that Golden State did a great job, a lot of luck involved as well in building that this this great team. And I think long term, um, the league will, is in a great place because, again, at the end of the day, you got a lot of great talent in the league, which I think is more important than anything. I'd rather have the league like we have now with all the talent in the league that we had in the early 80s. So with that being said, that would bring this edition to the Off the Glass podcast to a close. Again, I'm posting blogs. I'm working on a piece right now on Giannis. Does he comp- how does he compare to some of the all-time greats that will be released later this week? Um, I already have the one post up again about the super teams. You can go to D offtheglasspodcast.com and check it out. You can follow me on Facebook at Zach Ramey It's the official page for the Off The Glass Podcast. You can also friend me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at ZJ at Off The Glass. Also go on to Spreaker that's Spreaker S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R dot com Make sure to like, subscribe, and definitely download the podcast. Support your boy. This is your host, Z. Thanks for joining me again. Stay safe out there. Peace. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by
0: saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape.